0: Hey guys, my name is Eden Richardson. I'm the discipleship director here at First Baptist Rock Hill. Thank you so much for tuning in from from our pastor's sermon from this past Sunday. We are so excited for what God's gonna teach you through his word today. We hope that it blesses, encourages, and challenges you as you listen. Also be sure to like and subscribe to our YouTube channel where you'll get to see these weekly sermons. We hope you enjoy it and thank you so much. Well, good morning, church family. It is so good to be with you to see you after being gone for a couple of weeks, and thank you for your prayers. We had a good trip. We enjoyed our time out in Los Angeles and San Pedro with our daughter and her family, and got the Korean barbecue one night, and that was really good. Yeah, if you never had it, try it. Good ex- new experiences are good. You like it? I do too. I like a lot of stuff. Uh, then we flew back, and uh, I worked a day or so, and, and then we drove to the beach. As many of you know, two, three times a year, I take a part of a week or a week, and... Um go off for a retreat and I study and and uh, work on sermons for the future and think about what God might want us to do and want me to preach and I pray about all that and I work on you know leadership issues and I, I did uh, put together our Bible reading plans for 2025 and 2026 while I was there and so I always enjoy doing that and now that Monisa's retired she goes with me so I'll do a couple of days vacation we always go out and eat uh, you know a German restaurant my Irish pub not for the liquid stuff, but for the, uh, the shepherd's pie that I really like. And, and so we had a good time. And, one, uh, and I'll tell you more about that a little bit later. But thank you, thank you for your prayers. Uh, today, I want to start a new, uh, new series from the Gospel of Luke. You know, Easter comes early this year. It's the last Sunday of March. And I want us to spend the time between now and then looking at the last week of Jesus' life. I want you to think about something. If you knew you only have one week to live, what would you do? Go ahead and think about it. What's something you think you would do if you knew you only have one week to live? Think about something. And go ahead and tell your spouse or, or, or a friend or whoever's sitting beside you, what's one thing you think you would do if you knew you only have one week to live? Go ahead and share. What would you do? Isn't that a fun conversation? I have a suggestion for you. Do it now. (laughs) Do it now. Don't wait. But I think as we, over these next several weeks, look at Jesus last week, we're going to learn some things that will help us. We're going to learn more about God, about Jesus. We're going to learn more about ourselves, about humanity, about life, salvation, eternity. We're going to learn several things. And I think it's really going to benefit us as disciples who want to be faithful to Jesus. So I want you to open your Bible to Luke 19. We're going to teach these weeks from Luke because next month you will be reading the gospel of Luke. So I'm going to be teaching from it. And um, the, the other Gospels talk about the last week, and we'll bring some of what they say into this story, but we're going to focus on Luke's account of the last week of Jesus' life. Let me see your Bible. You have it with you? Hold it up high. Come on, hold it up. Always bring the Word of God with you because what we teach is not our opinions, not our thoughts. If we want to know what God thinks, what God says... This is where he speaks. And so always bring your Bible with you. We're going to start in Luke chapter 19. And as we look at the last week of Jesus' life, begin with what is usually referred to as his triumphal entry. Jesus' entrance into the city of Jerusalem that started the last week of his life, leading up to the cross and the resurrection. So Luke 19, we're going to read the whole story. I want it in your mind. Now, not the whole story of the last week, just the triumphal entry. Because I want it in your mind as I teach and preach this morning. So stand with me in honor of God's word as we read in Luke 19, beginning with verse 28. Everyone standing as we read together, please. Now, this is talking about Jesus. After he had said these things... He was going on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. And when he approached Bethpage and Bethany, near the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of the disciples saying, go into the village ahead of you. And there as you enter, you will find a colt tied on which no one has yet ever sat. No one's ever ridden it. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say, the Lord has need of it. And so those who were sent went away and found it just as he as Jesus had told them. And as they were untying the coat, that's a young donkey, its owner said to them, Why are you untying the colt? And they said, The Lord has need of it. They brought it to Jesus, and they threw their coats on the colt, on the donkey, and put Jesus on it. And as he was going, as he was riding it, they were spreading their coats on the road. Now the other gospels tell us, I think it's John, that uh, they were also spreading palm branches along with their coats on the road that he wrote that he was writing. And uh, in verse uh, verse thirty seven, as soon as he was approaching near the descent of the Mount of Olives, going down, the whole crowd of the disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the miracles which they had seen, shouting. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees, some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, said to Jesus, teacher, rebuke your disciples. Rebuke your disciples. But Jesus answered, I tell you, if these, my disciples, if these become silent, Stones will cry out. And when he, when he approached Jerusalem, he gets closer to the city. He saw the city and he wept over it. Now let that sink in. He sees the city of Jerusalem and he cries. And he said, and he's speaking to the city now. If you had known in this day, even you, Jerusalem, the things which make for peace, but now they have been hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will throw a barricade against you, against the city, and surround you and hem you in on every side. And they will level you to the ground and your children, the residents within you. And they will not leave in you one stone upon another because you did not recognize the time of your visitation. Holy Spirit, take God's word right now. Speak to my heart, speak to our hearts, to our minds. And may we not only listen, but oh God, please help us to obey. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, and you may be seated. So this is how Jesus last week before the cross begins. And as he's riding the donkey into the city, the crowd of disciples are shouting joyfully, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. But as you read on, the Pharisees and over in the other gospels, others there had different thoughts about who Jesus was. And I want to begin by asking you, who is Jesus? More specifically, who is Jesus in your life? Not just in your thoughts and opinions, but who is Jesus when it comes to how you live? Who is Jesus in your life when it comes to how you think and make decisions? Who is Jesus in your life when it comes to how you see yourself and how you see the world? Who is Jesus in your life? Well, the first thing I want to share with you from this story is that Jesus is the King of Kings, but He's so much more. While they're shouting, Blessed is the the King who comes in the name of the Lord, He was riding on a donkey. And when you read the four Gospels, there were actually two donkeys there was the older one, a female, and the young colt, the foal, the offspring that had not been trained. No one had ridden it before. And they brought them both to Jesus and he's riding the young one that had never been ridden. And that was a common practice because the older one would stay with the younger one until it was broken in and comfortable to keep it calm. And so Jesus is riding on this young col- this young donkey into the-, the city of Jerusalem. And over the years, I would read that and think, why did they steal somebody's donkey? I mean, you ever had that thought when you read that story? but it was prearranged. That's the reason when, when he, he said the Lord has need of it, the guy said, yeah, it'd been prearranged. And not just with that man, but it had been prearranged in history as more than 500 years before this day. God told the prophet Zechariah what was going to happen. And in the Old Testament book of Zechariah, Chapter 9, verse 9, we read that he said this Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout in triumph, O daughter of Jerusalem, the descendants of the city of Jerusalem, on down to the day of Christ. Behold, your king is coming to you. 500 years before Jesus, your king is coming to you. He is just and he's endowed with salvation. Isn't that what Jesus did when he came? Brought salvation. He's humble, mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal, the offspring of a donkey. Jesus is the king, but he's so much more. He's the one that centuries before God said was going to come. And in the Old Testament prophets, there are more than 300 prophecies that fit the life and ministry and person of Jesus Christ. Written and spoken hundreds of years before he actually appeared. The prophets told us centuries before that he would be born in Bethlehem to a virgin. That as a child he would spend time in Egypt and after Herod killed those infants, Joseph had taken Mary and Jesus to Egypt where he stayed until he was about 10 years old or so. The Old Testament prophets said that God would send a messenger before the Messiah to prepare the way to announce his coming, and that was John the Baptist. The prophet said the Messiah would teach him parables, which is the primary way Jesus taught. That he would give sight to the blind and speech to those who could not speak and hearing to the deaf that he would be despised and rejected by many and that rulers and leaders would plot against him. And as you read Luke next month and the other gospels, so many leaders, religious leaders and secular leaders, they, they conspired together to kill Jesus. The prophet said he would be betrayed by a friend and sold for 30 pieces of silver. And that's exactly what Judas, one of the 12, did. The prophet said the coming Messiah would be beaten and slapped in the face and spit on, and it happened during Jesus' trial. That he would be scourged to be beaten by a whip, and the Roman soldiers did that, tearing the flesh from his sides and his back. That he would be pierced with a spear. As Jesus hung on the cross, a Roman soldier did thrust a spear into his side to make sure he was dead. The prophet said Jesus would die between thieves and bear our sins, and he died between two thieves paying for our sin and actually saved one of those thieves that day. The prophet centuries before had said they would divide his clothing, and there at the foot of the cross, the Roman soldiers rolled dice gambling over Jesus' clothes as he was dying. They said he would be buried in a rich man's tomb. And it was the wealthy Joseph of Arimathea who took his body down from the cross and placed it in a new tomb where no one had ever been buried before. The prophet said God would not abandon his body to the grave, forecasting the resurrection of Jesus three days after he died. And the prophet said he would be an eternal kingdom ruling over an eternal kingdom this is who he is and his last week all started with this king of kings and everything else he is it started with him humbly riding on a donkey who is jesus is who the bible says he is it's he's he's who he said he was Many in that crowd said, blessed is the king, but some of them didn't understand what king he really was, for they were looking for a king who would set up a throne in Jerusalem and rid the Jewish people of Roman occupation, an earthly kingdom. But Jesus established a kingdom greater than that, as he told Pilate during his trial. My kingdom is not of this world It's a heavenly kingdom, it's an eternal kingdom and everyone, Jew and Gentile alike are invited to it and it'll never end, an eternal kingdom and he is an eternal king, but he's so much more than that. Jesus, the Bible tells us, is the alpha and omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. He's the light of the world and if you know him, he's the light of your life. He's the bread of life and the word of God that was there in the beginning when God spoke and the world came into being and will be there on the judgment day when we are judged by thus saith the Lord. He's the lamb of God. who takes away the sin of the world and he's the good shepherd. Lays down his life for the sheep. He's the resurrection and the life, truth and the way. He's our savior and our deliverer. He's the son of God and he's the king of all kings and the Lord of all lords. And the Bible says one day every knee will bow and every tongue confess and acknowledge that Jesus is who he said he was. Whether they ever acknowledged it before or not, they will on that day. That's who Jesus is. You see, opinions, then and now, Do not determine who he is. Who is he? He is who he is. Not who you think him to be. Not even who you want him to be. He is who he is. King of kings, Lord of lords, and everything we've said, that's who Jesus is. So my question to you, who is Jesus in your life? Who is Jesus and how you live and think? Second lesson, not everyone acknowledges who Jesus really is. It was true then. It's true today. There were various opinions about him. We've already seen that the crowd of his disciples, not just the 12, but the larger group that was following him were proclaiming him to be a king and they were doing it with joy and with praise We read in verses 39 and 40 that some of the Pharisees, not all the Pharisees, some of the Pharisees actually believed in Jesus, but most did not. And some of them looked at Jesus and they said, Jesus, tell your disciples to shut up. That's my paraphrase. Jesus, rebuked your disciples. Why? Because the disciples have been saying, he's the king. Here comes the king in the name of the Lord. And the Pharisees said, no, he's not. We don't acknowledge him as king. Tell your followers to be quiet. No matter what they think, tell them, shut up. Sounds like our world today, doesn't it? Be quiet. Don't speak his name. Don't talk about him out there in the public square. Be silent because we reject who he claims he is. You shut up. And Jesus said, if they are silent, I'll raise up the rocks to speak my name. I don't want a rock taking my place. I don't want God to give to anybody else the privilege I have to say this is who he is. To speak his name. When we were at the beach this week, and now that Monisa's retired and goes with me, we do take a couple of days vacation, but most of it's spent working. And one evening went to dinner and afterward um, went to Office Depot. I needed some ink for my work printer and some other supplies. And while we were in there, Monisa wanted to get a new journal for her D group because her current one's almost full. And a couple of soft drinks. We were thirsty. And, and so we're walking up to the checkout and putting the stuff down. And I tell the, the clerk, I say, this is going to be too charged. I'm going to put this stuff on my, on my work account, on my church credit card for work. And this other we'll put on our personal card. Card. I don't want to put the personal stuff on the work card. And uh, she said something. I, I wish I could remember. I don't. I don't remember exactly what she said, but she said something that caused me to say, well, you know, God always sees what I do. And I was able to, you know, talk because he does. By the way, you know, God sees what you do in your income tax. I'm just saying. That's, that's coming up. God sees what you give to the church and don't. I'm just saying, I'm just saying, just saying. There's so many opportunities in life to speak and say to people, this is who I am because of who he is. Because of who he is. Don't be silent. Don't let God put you on the shelf and say, I can't use you. I'll find somebody else to take your place. Because I don't want to stand before my Lord on the judgment day and him ask, why, why did you have me replace you? Because you wouldn't obey me. He's the king of kings and so much more And not everybody in this world acknowledges who he is, but I'm, I'm going to tell you, whatever they think doesn't change who he is. And because I'm his follower and you are his follower, we should be proud to be related to the one who is the king. Even if the world doesn't see him, we do speak his name. And by the way, I said earlier, Easter's coming quick this year, last Sunday in March. Who are you inviting to worship with us on Easter Sunday? By the way, you don't have to wait till Easter. Next Sunday's coming too. Pray every day for God to give you opportunities to invite people and to speak to people and to witness to people. Pray every day for God to give you the courage to speak. Don't be silent. Don't let God take a rock because He says that rock will be more faithful than you. Speak His name. Speak His name. Speak His name. Matthew tells us about this same experience. And he says, as Jesus was coming into the city, the whole city was all stirred up. There was a big buzz about Jesus. And some people were asking others, who is this man? And some were saying, you know, I think that's that Jesus, the prophet who grew up over there in Nazareth. Some months before this, one evening, Jesus was, was, was alone with his 12 disciples. They were up on a mountain north of Galilee. And in the darkness, and I imagine around a little campfire, I don't know, but I just imagine they're talking. And Jesus asked his disciples, what, what are the people out there in the crowd saying about me? Who do they think I am? And the disciples said, Well, we've heard some of them say you're, they think you're John the Baptist come back from the dead. We've heard others say, they think you're Jeremiah or one of the Old Testament prophets that God's brought back. They talked about it. And then Jesus asked them, well, who do you say that I am? When you're out there in the crowds and they're talking and and they ask you questions, who do you say to them I am? Peter speaking for the group said, "We, we tell them that you are the Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah, son of the living God. And Jesus said, hey, Peter, hey, guys, that's correct. <laughs> that's who I am. Tell people who he is. Don't be ashamed of him. Don't be intimidated. Speak his name. Make him known Because you know who he is, even if many others don't speak his name. So again, who is Jesus in your life? Now, the last point, last point. He's the king of kings, and he's so much more. Not everybody acknowledges who he is, but Jesus weeps. He weeps over every person who does not acknowledge who he is. Every person who rejects him, every person who is indifferent, every person who is obstinate, he weeps over them. In verse 41, we read that as Jesus got close to the city, he saw it and he cried. I remember when I was 18 years old, senior in high school, our class about half of us, had taken a, a week-long trip to Washington, D.C. and New York City. And our last day in New York, it was a long day, and we were leaving, starting the long drive back to Kentucky that night. And I still remember looking out the window as we were leaving the city. We'd been downtown. And as we were leaving, I think we had going to see the Rockettes, that's right, and we were, well, we did. And uh, as we were leaving, I can remember looking out the window and seeing what seemed to me like thousands upon thousands upon thousands of lights shining through little windows in that major city. And I'm, I'm 66, and I still remember how I felt this overwhelming feeling of grief at the massive lostness represented by those lighted windows. And I imagine when Jesus saw Jerusalem, what he felt that moment was infinitely more intense than what I felt all those years ago. Your children and grandchildren, your parents, your brothers and sisters your neighbors, your classmates, students, your classmates, your co-workers who don't know who Jesus is, who reject who Jesus is, who just want to ignore it and not deal with it, who are disinterested. He weeps over them. He weeps over them. Do you? Do you? Or are you silent? There are some in this room right now and you're lost. You don't in your own life acknowledge who Jesus really is. He weeps over you. And I believe those of us who know him but are silent, he weeps over our silence. For he was never ashamed of us and ask us not to be ashamed of him. Some months before this experience, Jesus was standing in front of the tomb, the burial place of a friend of his called Lazarus. Lazarus' family and friends were there crying and hurting. He'd been dead and buried for three or four days. And seeing their pain, the Bible in John's gospel says that Jesus wept. He cried. Looking at that grave and the evil that it it represents, he cried. Then he spoke. Lazarus uh, come forth and dead Lazarus got up and walked out alive. The Bible says Jesus is touched, is moved by our infirmities, our weaknesses and our struggles. When you heard, he weeps. When you disobey him, he weeps. When you're silent, he weeps. But he weeps, he weeps over you and me. But one day the weeping will stop Because Revelation tells us with his own hand, he'll wipe away your tears and there'll be no more crying. A few weeks before he entered Jerusalem, he was teaching a crowd, telling them that he was on his way to Jerusalem and what would happen when he got there. And in the midst of that teaching in Luke 13, Jesus said, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that, kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her, sent to you. How often? How many times I wanted to gather your children together like a, like a hen gathers her brood, her chicks under her wings, but you would not have any of it. And he weeps at our obstinance and indifference. He weeps at the fact we go through life with so many distractions. We never focus on what really matters. He weeps when we make one excuse after the another, blaming one person after another to justify our own rejection and our own indifference and our own disobedience. He weeps. But Jesus was also weeping over Jerusalem because of her future. Verses 43 and 44, he said, The day is coming, Jerusalem, when your city will be surrounded by an army. There will be a barricade. And not one stone will be left on another. A little over 30 years after Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection the Roman general Titus with 60,000 Roman soldiers surrounded the city of Jerusalem in 70 AD. Four years earlier, the Jewish people had rebelled against Rome and its occupation of their homeland. And Rome sent its army, and in a little less than four years, pushed all the rebels inside the city of Jerusalem except for a few that would later be captured and killed at Masada. And 60,000 soldiers enveloped that city. No one going in, no one getting out. For five months, that's how it was. Starvation, many dying. The lack of pure water, disease, and many dying. And as week after week passed, they began to turn on one another. And in August of 70 AD, the Romans breached the walls surrounding Jerusalem and laid siege to it and burned it to the ground. And just like Jesus said, not one stone left on another, they burned and destroyed the temple. You remember that over five centuries earlier, the same thing had happened when the Jewish people rebelled against God. And as the prophet Jeremiah and others said, as we studied in the last two years, God brought the Babylonian army and leveled it to the ground. And now the same thing is happening again. You go to Jerusalem today and you see the Western Wall, the Weeping Wall, the Wailing Wall. That's all that remains. That's not the Temple Wall. That's the wall of the platform, if you will, that surrounded the mount, the mountain, the hill, to keep it fortified on which they built the temple. And that's all that was left. Do you understand that going through life, not having time for Jesus, making excuses for not paying attention to Jesus, blaming people for your reason not to love Jesus, and on and on we go, indifference. And that's this. listen, 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 listen. This is true for your children and your friends and your coworkers who reject Jesus and ignore Jesus and don't have time for Jesus. The lack of faith always ultimately has serious consequences. In this life, yes, even more in the next, as they spend eternity without God in the lake of fire. The fires that burned Jerusalem eventually burned out, but the Bible says the fires of hell never cease burning. Speaking of that, Jesus said, it's where the worm never dies, meaning the memory never stops. Those who have no time for Jesus will remember every time someone invited them to church and they said no. Every time someone tried to share the gospel or their testimony and they weren't interested. Every time they heard a sermon and just were waiting for it to be over, and every time they were with you and you were silent that's their destiny and it's a horrible one and just as human opinions don't change who Jesus is human opinions do not change heaven and hell for Jesus is who he is heaven is what it is and hell It's what it is, and no opinion changes any of it. Is Jesus weeping over you today because you're not loving him and living for him? Is he weeping over you right now because you don't know him? When we sing this next song and pastors stand here at the altar, come to a pastor and say, I don't want Jesus to weep over me anymore. I want there to be rejoicing in heaven because I'm now giving my life to Jesus. I'm becoming a follower of Jesus. I want to be saved. And Jesus said, the angels in heaven will rejoice when you do that. It's time for the weeping to stop and the rejoicing start. Is Jesus weeping over you because you know him, but you're silent? Weeping over you because you know him, but you don't live like it? Come to the altar. Pray, ask forgiveness, ask for boldness and courage, ask for healing and help. Pastors will stand here, come and say, I want to join First Baptist Church because I want to be more than just somebody who comes and enjoys it. I want to be somebody who is committed and makes a difference. So come to a pastor, come to the altar, come and pray. Don't be still, don't be silent. Come, let's stand.